Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Today, my guest is Miles Briggs, Conservative Shadow Cabinet Secretary for Local Government, Housing and Social Justice. Morning, Miles. Morning, Gillian. Nice Thank to see you. Thank you. Nice to see you too. Thanks so much for taking the time to come in. Pleasure. Now, today we're here to talk about the Cost of Living Tenant Protection Scotland Act 2022. Scottish Parliament recently approved the 3% cap on private residential rent increases from the 1st of April this year to the end of September and obviously with the option of it being extended for another six month period. Now, when the emergency legislation was first announced last year, did you feel that SNP and the Greens were simply chasing easy headlines? Um, I did, and if we go back to uh, the last summer, we saw the Labour Party basically calling for this and campaigning on this issue. And you know, during that period of time, both the SNP and the Greens um, felt they'd been kind of off-footed by the Labour Party on this. So all of a sudden this emerged as a piece of emergency legislation without any consultation, without really Parliament having the chance um, to look at this in any detail as well. Um, so it did very much feel like they were just trying to take this away from Labour and, and create a sort of situation in Parliament where they were seen to be doing without necessarily thinking of the unintended consequences before. Okay, because no, the Scottish Conservatives, they warned about the impact on destabilising the private rented sector uh, that this legislation may have. So what effects are already being reported, you know, with regard to the supply of private rented stock and, and landlords themselves? So I don't think we've seen the full impact quite yet, but I certainly know from speaking to landlords across all sectors that they are seeing um, a reduction of property being brought forward. And I think that's one of my greatest concerns, that that supply and demand is already seeing a reduction. Um, and one of the key parts of of actually looking at how this is going to impact is when these are finally lifted and people just withdrawing from the market. We know that people are not happy and um, that actually they might look to now just sell the property to release that capital. Um, so that full impact, I don't think we'll see till necessarily the end of this year, but I think it's going to be significant and it's going to have a huge de detriment um, on property and housing market, especially here in the capital. Yeah, and did you mention, you know, that landlords are kind of selling up, you know, I mean, if the numbers of private rented homes reduced considerably. I mean, where will these people go? Well, absolutely key question. And we are already seeing the number of people who are going to the council um, to declare themselves homeless, number of people living in temporary accommodation. Um, and actually then the numbers of people who are not finding properties and are moving back home, um, if they're lucky enough that their parents are living in the capital, to move home because they can't find anywhere to live. Now, I think there's going to be a huge impact when the students leave and then try to return in September um, because those properties will come on the market. It might feel like there's a new group of properties emerged, but they were student properties. They'll then go into longer term rents. Students will come back and we'll see a greater crisis than we've seen in previous times. So um, this is having clear impacts on all sorts of different tenant groups. And I really worry for where there isn't that um, property, uh, you know, lull now being brought forward, 
where people can try to get into these properties mm -hmm. in the future. And it, it's deeply concerning. Our, our market here in the capital was already overheated, really, but this has really had a negative impact and is going to really, um, I think, in the next few months and towards the end of the year, um, potentially see a collapse in the rental market here in the capital. Yeah, it's concerning. And, and you mentioned about the student housing, because obviously there was the, the crisis last year with, in Glasgow where they were yeah. told not to continue with their enrolment, which, yeah. you know, is, is, is awful. And unsurprisingly, private landlords have stated that they feel singled out compared to the social sector, you know, who they've had the, the rent freeze removed. MSP Patrick Harvey, however, stated that the 3% rise would provide parity between the private and social rent sector in Scotland. So what are your thoughts on this? Do you view it as equal? I mean, especially given just the recent news of the social sector intending now to increase rents by an average of 6.1%. Yeah, well, I don't think it is parity, clearly. And, you know, I raised concerns at the very start of this. The social rental sector have done a good job to get themselves removed. Um, but when you look at costs, um, to have that disproportionate opportunity to increase rents at just 3% or 6%, I've never had a clear explanation from Patrick Harvey or the Scottish Government over why they've chosen that figure, why it's less for private rental, and why actually when you look at costs around maintenance and factoring, they haven't really been factored into this. And you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Um, the social rental sector often have more opportunities for in-house maintenance as well, which can be cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, so I am concerned that this has just been a figure they've plucked out of thin air um, and not really looked at why they should have maybe taken a cross-sector level, um, which probably would have been 6% um, at this stage for both sectors. Yeah. Well, as part of the emergency legislation, um, there was also a moratorium on evictions, and that's also due to be extended too. So what concerns have landlords with the new Lothian constituency raised to you? Um, so during this pandemic period, I think a lot of landlords who I've spoken to have done their best to make sustainable tenancies happen. In some cases, reduce rent because they knew their individual tenants had seen significant drops in income, for example. Now, as we get to this point in time, three years on really, um, and maybe there has been factors where tenants have stopped paying, they found it incredibly difficult to sustain that tenancy. And, you know, these are individuals who, it might be one property they're renting out, they could have inherited that, it could be a buy-to-let, which they are left with paying the full mortgage on top of their own mortgage. Yeah. Um, so it's been really significant, and I think this is where... I've been personally quite disappointed that many ministers within the SNP and the Green Party, maybe not surprisingly, um, have just not understood that. They see just landlords as having huge portfolios and being multimillionaire yeah. fat cats. And that's not the predominantly the number of people in Edinburgh are not like that. In fact, most people I know who do let a property have inherited it. So I think this is where it's clear that there has been in, you know, in consequences around this legislation and will be when people are able to give notice, um, tenants move out and then these properties don't get rented out any longer. They're more likely to be sold. And for the Edinburgh market, I think that will be buoyant enough that they will be snapped up quite quickly. But then we see the real reduction in private rental and that will have real negative impacts going forward. I know, because I mean, as much as this legislation was intended to protect tenants, 
during obviously the cost of living crisis, you've previously stated that it will actually be counterproductive and damaging for tenants in the long run. So can you expand on this viewpoint, please? Sure. And, and I think for me, I go back to, I've been in MSP for around six years, seven years now. And one of the key things in Edinburgh is the work which was taking place to create sustainable tenancies with the private rental sector, some of the most vulnerable people actually in Edinburgh who can't find um, homes. Now that work was actually really getting to a really positive place um, until this. I've seen that completely dry up. The conversations I have with the council is the, you know, the private rental sector is now not being involved in that. Um, so that's where I think in the long term, in a city like Edinburgh, which I represent, we need a buoyant rental market to be able to support housing for all tenants. And the most vulnerable will be the last ones able to, to flex in that market to potentially buy or, or to let. And that's where, in the longer term, um, the housing crisis, which we see in the capital, can only get worse because of these interventions. And, and you know, we have to see the government acknowledging that at some point, because it's been a total disaster. And I think come this autumn, from all the statistics I'm seeing across uh, industry, which is given to me, what we've seen in terms of consequences of rent controls in Dublin could be very similar to here in the capital. Yeah. And... You know, as a result of this emergency legislation, there is concern that investment for the supply of likes of, of build to rent um, in Scotland will just be significantly reduced. And you know, we've just we were just talking earlier about the get living development, yep. which has just been paused. I mean, that's a two hundred million build to rent development consisting of one thousand five hundred homes. You know, it is concerning. And you know, how many build to rent? to rent homes in the pipeline could potentially be affected by this act? Yeah, I think a significant number, and I think in terms of the, the longer term view of Scotland as a country to invest in has been damaged by this. Across sectors, the social rental sector have had to completely redesign their long term financial investment into social rental, but um, the build to let market clearly as well, people are now looking at saying, well, that, that was not sustainable for many people to invest in. I also think when you speak to people in industry where they're targeting um, the potential to do these developments, they can go elsewhere. They can go to the north of England and do this. So I do worry that the homes we really need to see built are not going to now take place. And, and the issue around national planning framework, that's maybe a conversation for another day, um, which I took through um, the local government committee as one of the members of that committee. Um, land supply is also a key problem now in Scotland. Um, and the mechanism's just not there to make sure that the land we need to build new homes, a lot of that can be um, built to rent, um, isn't coming forward either. So there's a perfect storm building with all these different interventions, which can only result in fewer homes being made available. And that's a really bad thing for where we are with the housing emergency in Scotland. Well, now that Nicola Sturgeon has resigned, and there's obviously an impending kind of Scottish government reshuffle, do you think the SNP-Green relationship will be weakened? And as such, you know, how do you think this will affect Patrick Harvey's role as Minister for Tenants' Rights? you know, and his ability to push through, you know, his agenda. Yeah, my crystal ball I haven't brought with me, I'm sorry to say, <laughs> but um, I think there's two points to that. Um, it's quite clear if Hamza Youssef wins, he wants to sustain a Green SNP majority government. I don't think that will then see much change in terms of the Greens' role. Concerningly, that would leave Patrick Harvey 
in control of the housing bill and, and any other future interventions he manages to, to get approval for. Um, if we go back to minority government and the Greens leave, I think that could create a new opportunity for a better conversation cross-party. I certainly will be writing to whoever I'll be shadowing mm -hmm. um, to try to seek meetings early to discuss these issues. And there's lots of impacts across um, the housing market at the moment, I want to look at homelessness and people living in temporary accommodation is now at a level which we need to see a very bespoke Edinburgh solution to. But in terms of housing and investment in housing, we also need a more stable government relationship. And that's something I hope the new housing secretary will look at. I also support a call for a housing minister. I think we need someone at the top table purposely working on housing and looking at the solutions we need. As, a, as an Edinburgh MSP, I also want to see an Edinburgh bespoke solution because we need to be, we're overheated and the issues which London face, we are now seeing in Edinburgh. And so we need the government to acknowledge that and find solutions. And I think cross-party wise, with the minority SNP government, we're more likely to get something constructive and workable than leaving it to Patrick Harvey. Well, do you believe then that landlords' hopes for a reset of policies, you know, could eventuate that when the latter was the case? I hope so. I hope there's an opportunity. Um, when we look at some of the policy agenda around short-term lets, for example, that's not worked. We've seen a six-month pause. Um, when we look at the, the, the Cost of Living Tenant Protection Act, that's timed out, but there's still talk of extensions. I, I'm sure, actually, the pressure which the... SNP and Greens will come under from Labour to extend that through the next UK general election will be there. So I think we will we'll see more of this unless we have a minority government who has to reset this. So I do hope there is a chance for, and I know landlords want to see this, but an opportunity to actually get ministers who are going to understand mm -hmm. that policy interventions have consequences and they can be negative, they're not always positive. And you know, maybe they were well-meaning, well but for the, the government to understand that they need to look at this in a much rounder way and try to get back to where we should all be focusing on. And that's actually trying to create more homes for people to, to live in, um, either to rent or to buy, or a policy which I'm very keen to look at in the current cost of living crisis is to try to develop more um, rent-to-buy schemes going forward in Scotland to give people that opportunity to rent but build up capital to eventually buy. And I, I think we need to see more of that in Scotland. It's an, so many people are aspirational in Scotland to own their own home. We need a government who will do something about that. Yes, well, do you think then that change of leadership will be sufficient to restore investors' confidence in the PRS? Again, I suppose it's down to who will be First Minister and what type of vision they want to give to their government and um, whether or not investors then think Scotland's on a reset to actually be a, a country to, which is attractive to invest in. I certainly hope so. Um, but you know that will, I think, take a minority government again who is willing to listen and understand the, that this isn't just a game and you can pluck policies out of the air and run with them. Mm -hmm. So I hope there's that opportunity for that reset as well. Um, but I'm becoming more and more cynical. I think it will very much depend on who wins the leadership and then the Greens' involvement in this government. Well, 
with a new leader in place, what other um, changed approaches might there be in relation to housing matters, including obviously the hot topic of a national system of, of rent controls in the PRS? So the big issue is the housing bill, and from conversations I've had, a lot of people have been told that will be the vehicle for for delivering a lot of change in the housing market in Scotland. I'm not quite sure we've ever seen any detail of what that will look like. So that housing bill and what's included in it is absolutely critical. Um, whether or not it's one or two bills, we're now um, not clear where the government wants to sit on that. But it's looking at the whole vision around housing. I, I was actually up on the um, Western Isles on US quite recently. Now, as an Edinburgh MSP, I have a very urban outlook, um, so it was really fascinating to hear the housing challenges they have and the solutions that community looks for. Polar opposite to what we in Edinburgh yeah, need. Yeah, we just recently had Anna Gardner from um, Scottish Land in the States, actually, yes. was, was last in the podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. And, and those pressures yeah. and those needs are something I really hope we can look towards um, different solutions for different communities. Um, there was quite an interesting debate as this went through Parliament around um, whether or not we can see more opportunities for landowners in rural areas to develop property and bring that forward um, as a business model. And I think there's different versions of planning reform we need to see. Like I said earlier, national planning framework I don't think has really focused on the housing emergency we have in Scotland and to facilitate more homes to be built. And we know we need those. Um, there's also a broader picture we need to look at in Scotland of hidden homelessness. And in the capital, I don't think we really have got to grips with that. A number of people who would have moved out of their family home by now, who haven't been able to, who are living with their parents. Um, we need to really look at the true figure of housing need in Scotland. Now that could be to rent, um, or it could be to buy. And I think that's where I would like to see us really focus on what the Scottish Government should be doing and statistically get to the place where we need to then plan for how we're going to meet that need. It's something as a country, I think, collectively, we could, re we could do and really, over the next decade, deliver what we need. And I really hope that's um, where we see a change. And, and certainly in terms of um, that housing bill, if it's not in there, then this crisis can only get worse. Well, going forward, what do you believe would have been a better policy for protecting tenants, you know, without adverse effects on landlords and, you know, much needed housing supply? So I think there was an opportunity when this was, uh, you know, during the heat of the pandemic um, for us to really look at actually how you create sustainable tenancies and how you do that in partnership not just taking a stick to the landlords to say you will, but actually looking at some of the models in place which were already happening without government intervention. You know, I, I know of cases of friends where they had lost a significant part of their income, they spoke to their landlord, and they dropped the rent during that period. It wasn't moving to just evict them no. straight away. And I think, sadly, we saw that kind of um, attitude within government that they thought this was the only way to create sustainable tenancies. Um, so some of the pots of money which were available haven't been utilised. So I, I really think there was an opportunity earlier on to approach this in a far better way. And like I said earlier, the most vulnerable people are those furthest removed from the housing market. At the end of the day, are the ones likely to now probably um, eventually see problems around being evicted, of then declaring themselves homeless, of then being put into temporary accommodation, which here in the capital is former guest houses, um, 
you know, the number of children and pregnant women in temporary accommodation in Scotland um, is over 5,000 now. I think that's totally unacceptable, mm. but that is being driven by this policy agenda as well. Um, and so we need to see, I think, a, a better opportunity to change that. And, and I hope if we had seen um, a more understanding government, one who actually, like in previous years of this SNP government, actually understood, um, I think, sort of business and opportunity round where if you do something, think it through first, yeah. uh, we might have seen a better outcome. But I certainly hope, and we will need to see government really get to grips with this because it's going in the wrong, di wrong direction and there's no one else to blame. And I think this is where we certainly, in, in the Scottish Parliament, collectively need to understand that. And I hope other parties who have been cheerleaders for the rent controls policies actually will start to look at the data and and understand that this has had a negative impact and they need to look at the long term now and get this right for the country as well. That's great, isn't it? Thank you so much. It's been it's really nice insightful. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. And I know you've got to rush back to be back at Parliament for 11. Good to see you. Thanks very much, Gillian. I'm Gillian Semler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. And also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's talk at citylets.co.uk. Thank you.